John chapter 2, and beginning with verse number 12. Last week we talked about Jesus and the wedding at Cana, making of the wine, and all that good stuff, and how they were celebrating at this marriage, and that was the first miracle that Jesus uh, did in terms of the beginning of his ministry. And uh, whenever I read the word, uh, when I'm asking different questions, I'm reading through it, uh, the question that I asked for this week was, now, we just had a wedding, which is supposed to be a joyous occasion. And why, why do we go from wedding to what Jesus is going to do here in chapter, uh, verse 12 through 25? How do we go from a wedding, which is a joyous occasion, the first miracle he did, to now he's making his way uh, to the temple and all the things that went on there? Well, we're going to find out. It says, after this, he went to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Amen. A cleansing and a revitalization at the temple. A cleansing and a revitalization at the temple. Jesus had just done his miracle at the wedding. Now we find that He's in the city, a place called Capernaum, and he's with his mother and his half-brothers and sisters, as well as his disciples. At this time, it's probably the five that we already talked about before he adds more to the, uh, the other seven that will become for a few days. As they were there, it's time with the Passover, where that comes from. It goes all the way back to the book of Exodus, when the nation of Israel was in slavery, and God was going to deliver the nation of Israel out. He told them that they were to eat uh, or were to prepare a lamb, sacrifice it, take the blood, put it over the doorposts of the house. That night, the death angel was going to come in to the city. Where the angel saw the blood over the doorpost, the angel would pass over. Where there was no blood over the doorpost, the angel would take the firstborn male of that household. 
It's interesting. I think it's in Exodus 12 or 14 around there. When you read the account, when God gives the direction, they were to have their food prepared. They were to cook the lamb a certain the, the lamb a certain way, and they were to have shoes on their feet, just to be ready at a moment's notice if God was going to tell them to move forward. But that's where Jesus is. He's at here at the Passover of the Jews, and while he was there, while he was at that place, he went to Jerusalem, and in the temple he finds some activity going on that should not have been going on. Now, you got to remember, by the time we get to this, Jesus is probably at least in his 30s. So from the time he was born to the time we get to here, it wasn't that this was something new to Jesus, for he had made his way. Every male had to go there to bring offering and to pay tribute or pay their money towards the upkeep of what was going on. So he did this many times. This is not the first time he's gone to the temple, but over his 30 years of existence, he had been there many times. Now, whether when we get to this point, whether it's as bad as it is on this day, it was probably a steady progression of the money changers and all the things that were going on. That by the time he gets here on this specific occasion, basically Jesus said, okay, I've been coming here a long time. And I've seen some things transpire that as time has moved on, we steadily have gotten worse and worse and worse until now, Jesus finally says, okay, that's it. And what we find out, find out is that here he comes, he's in the temple, and he finds the selling of oxen and sheep and pigeons. Not only were they selling that, but they also had money changers. They would have to take the money that they earned, convert it to the money that they were supposed to use, to take care of the offering that they were to give, which in of itself wasn't a bad thing because you got to remember, all the people were coming from, a, some people came from a long distance to get there to do their sacrifice. So it may have started out initially as a, quote, good thing. If you're coming from the farthest point north of Ohio to get to here, you may not want to be bringing your lamb and your offering, whatever, your sacrifice with you. It might be a, quote, convenience to have something already there. And they weren't in the temple proper. They were in the outer court, probably the court of the Gentiles. So that would be like they were on the outside of our church. This is the center. This would be the temple. Everything around it is probably where they were doing all this selling of money and exchanging of money and selling of oxen and lambs and pigeons. And here comes Jesus. He had already began his ministry because remember last week we talked about he told, had to tell Mary that, look, the time of my ministry isn't left up to you or to man, but the time is that I'm beginning to let people know who I am as of today by the first miracle, changing water into wine. And now we see his authority because he is now going to tell, do some things in terms of the temple. What does he do? The method of his cleansing was he makes a whip of cords. And he drives them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the table. This is the first time that we see that Jesus actually takes something and makes it maybe like a rope or whatever, makes some cords of it, and literally, physically drives out the animals as well as those who were changing money. Which I asked the question, was Jesus upset? I think he had what we would call righteous indignation, which meant, because what does he say here when we finish reading that? He told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house 
a house of trade. They had taken what God had set up as a temple to be worthy of worship and praise and prayer and turned it into a commercial bazaar, if you want to say. And how many of our churches today have lost the sense of what it means to come to the house of God? We are to come here to praise, to worship, and for prayer. Amen? And many times, churches do a lot of other things other than being centered on praising God, praying to God, worshiping God, and fellowshipping with one another. Those are the key ingredients. If you and I come for any other reason, we have come out of the wrong motive. Why do I come to church every Sunday? Not because I have to preach, but because God wants me to come in light of what he has done for me in terms of what he's done for me this past week, what he has done for me in terms of my eternal position in him, that I'm saved, I've been bought by the blood of Christ. He saved me, brought me from darkness into the marvelous light, all the things that he's done for me in my life, and yet and still I want to come and simply say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me one more opportunity to come to your house. And we do that as individuals, and hopefully even as a church body, we ought to be able to rejoice and to have praise and to fellowship. One of, you know, the songs that were sung today should have got you a little bit excited, a little bit stirred up. Praise team, they, they were doing good today. They did, I mean, they were singing songs that hopefully, if you listen to the words of the song and, and, and paid attention to what was being sung, you had a reason to take your mind off of yourself and put your mind on him. Because it's easy to focus on our situations and our problems, but it's another thing to take that and say, Lord, you know what? I am going through some things. I am suffering through some things, but I want to fix my mind on you. What did the old timers say? He's a heart fixer and a what? Mind regulator. And I don't know about you. Sometimes I need the Lord to fix my heart and to regulate my mind. I woke up this morning. At 4.10. I'm like, 4.10? I looked at it. I, I raised up out of bed a little bit because we got a clock. It says, oh, it's right. 4.10? And I couldn't go back to sleep, so I got up and did some reading and stuff. And it's about 5.30. I said, well, I'll get up about 8. But I said, Lord, fix my mind. Help me. You ever had the mood you can't go to sleep? You think about everything under the sun, just tossing and flipping like a fish out of water. Can't get settled. That's when you need to say, Lord, fix my mind. Fix my heart. Give me a sense of peace, a peace of calm, a sense of calm that in spite of all, because your mind is thinking about everything and all the things, and you just keep going over and over and over. Not that you're solving anything, but you just can't get a sense of peace. So, Lord, give me not my peace, but your peace. That's what we need. And that's what ultimately is going to happen when we come to the house of God for the right reasons. You say, Lord, you know what? It's it's like anything. I I equate it to the penny. Me and you, I think of you when I think of this a lot of times. It's like when we go on our diets. And I know I think about some of the things that I said and you said, but I think about this because we have every purpose to do what we say we're going to do. And then what happens? Somebody causes us to fall. Now, they don't make us eat whatever they make, 
but it's so good and looks so tasty that we say, I know I'm not supposed to eat this, but oh my goodness, it just looks so good. Now, you don't have to, but most times we what? We do it. You could wake up this morning, I say that to say this, you could wake up this morning and because you may not feel like it, the devil's whispering in our ears, you know, why are you going to church? You know, ain't nothing going to change. You're going to go to church, you're going to come home, and you're still going to have the same problem you had when you left. Okay? So what, what purpose does it serve? Or, uh, you know, those people down there, they really don't care about you. Oh, they talk about love, but they ain't. Stay on home. Stay here with me. Sleep a little extra. Have another cup of coffee. Sit on the porch and read the newspaper. Watch the news. Let's go, let's go away somewhere. But you know what? No matter what you and I do, we could do all those things, and when we come back, the same situation is still there. How do you handle that? You say, Lord, I am in a problem. I got something that's going on. But I need to help. help me to be focused on you. Help me to stay with you. How do you get that? Because here's the thing. Here's, here's where the church misses it. Here's we, not we just at the cornerstone, but the church, all, we miss it here too. But everywhere, we are more powerful when we come together. Because I said that, I was sharing with the brother, Emmanuel said, here's the thing, man. I said, I said this, we are all more alike than we are different. And I don't care what I go through or what you go through. There is somebody here or somewhere else that has gone through or is going through the same situation that you and I are going through. So we're not alone and we're not on an island. And maybe what we need to do is lose our pride, lose our sense of I can handle it myself, and say, hey, I need the, the, the saints of God to pray. Let's just get on. Penny said it. Let's pray about this until the change comes. Not just my situation, but any situation of anybody that's in here. And watch God move. Because once he does move, I really believe the reason why we don't have power, the reason why we don't have joy, is because we're not really convinced that God is able. The church ought to be. Number one, our relationship to Jesus is this first priority, but the church itself ought to be everything. Once we come, once we hear the word, once we're taught the word, once we're growing, once we're praying, then everything in our life comes out of that. So that no matter what happens, you know, hey, wait a minute, I got some, I know some people that can pray. Hey, Brother Tony, pray for me. And I tell them, this is, brother, you know, just lay it out. Pray, man. Do, you, do we not, you have to trust everybody, but are there not some people that you trust more so than others? You know, if you go to them, they'll say, hey, I'm with you. Some of you served in the military. Some of you know about being in a foxhole. You want the guy next to you to be on alert and on point because if he wasn't, what would happen? You could get killed. You want the guy, the person beside you to be like, hey, dude, you need to pay attention. Don't be fiddling and fathering around. Watch and keep your eyes moving so that if the enemy comes, we're prepared. 
Just like you do that in a foxhole, we are to be foxhole buddies with one another in the spiritual battle that many of us are going through. If Jesus comes into the temple, the one place where they ought to have been able to serve God, he walks in and anything and everything is going on except for worshiping God. Of course, when he drove them all out, it was amazing when I read this. I said, he's only one little dude. One little guy, and this is a massive crowd. Some say that up in the hundreds of thousands of people would make their way to Jerusalem at this time to do offering and to pay sacrifice. So this wasn't like 250 people or 2,000. It may have been half a million people or more that are now coming to this city to do this. And Jesus, by himself, in a place, it'd be like going to the Dayton Mall and seeing all that's going on and drive every, every animal out of the mall and all the money teachers out by himself with nothing but a cords with some rope wrapped around together. And when he did that, of course, the religious people said, oh, wait a minute, who is this guy? And he asked, okay, he tells them to take these things away. You've made my father's house. It was, it was what? His father's house. Showing that, just as instant, showing that the, who he was. Why could he say it was his father's house? Because who's his father? God himself. Again, pointing to his deity. Again, pointing to who he really is. He says, you have made my father's house a house of trade. Now, he says his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Psalm 69, verse 9, David writes that the zeal of God's house was a part of it. The, the same, he had, David says, I had the same intensity to guard and protect the house of God as if God himself was doing it. I don't want things going on in the house that ought not to be going on. I have that same zeal, that same sense of wanting to make sure that everything that happens in the house of God is on point and is pointing towards God. That's what David said. Question, do we have that same zeal? Do we want to make sure that the words that are sung, the word that is preached, the things that are done in the house of God all point to Jesus Christ? Everything ought to point to Christ so that by the time we get to the preaching of the word, we're ready to hear the word. We're ready to say, preach to us, give us the word that we need today so that I might have strength to go on another day. Amen? He says, take these things away. Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, okay, by what sign? By what authority? Give us, wait a minute, dude. Hey, wait a minute, man. By what sign? By what authority? Show us. Do you do these things? Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, to show you how people miss the point, how many of us come to church, hear the word, and miss the whole point of what was going on? The significance isn't about the clean, about Jesus driving out the money changers. The significance is what he's saying right here. This is really the key to the whole passage. It's like, oh, really? I thought it was about he got mad and angry and drove. No, no, that's not the point. The point is, when they asked him for a sign, he says, destroy this temple. He didn't say he was going to, he said, I will destroy your temple. He just says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. What was he talking about? Not the temple that they were standing in, but his body showing that you want to see signs? You want to see miracles? Guess what? The greatest miracle, David, yes, he delivered out of the, 
Miles, the boys out of the, Daniel out of Miles, Miles of the lion. Yes, he delivered the three Hebrew boys. Great things. But the greatest thing that God has ever done was raising Jesus Christ up out of the grave. If he, if he did it for Daniel, he did it for the three Hebrew boys, and he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, then there's nothing too hard for God. Nothing. Your problem does not, and my problem does not exceed Christ, God raising Christ from the grave. And guess what? He did it! They killed him, they crucified him, and on the third day, he got up with all power in his hand. If your problem is greater than that, then guess what? You're beyond the scope of even what Jesus says he was able to do because Jesus was, was raised from the dead. He said, I'll destroy this temple, destroy my body, kill me, and in three days, I will raise it up. Talking about himself. God in the flesh raised up again up out of the grave. That's, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Wait till I die and get up. That's the best sign you could ever have. And again, it was like this. It went right over the head. Oh, wait a minute. What are you talking about? It took us 46 years to build a temple. So how are you going to destroy it and do that in three days? Missed the whole point. Missed the whole point. How many of us missed the point? Did you say it took us 46 years and you're going to do this in three days? It's good the Bible tells us. It says, but he wasn't speaking about the temple, but the temple of his body. And therefore he was raised from the dead, even his disciples. These guys were standing there with him, hearing him going through all this, and they missed the point until it's a flashback. It goes back to when Jesus actually got out of the grave, then the disciples said, oh, that's what he meant when he was at the temple, cleaning out the temple. Then in three days, he, oh, click, click, the lights come on. Oh, I get it now. See, sometimes the truth of God's word is there, but we don't get it till we have to go through some stuff. I tell, I tell myself and I would tell us all the time, be careful what you say. I mean, when you say, I love the Lord, God is marvelous. All that other stuff we like to throw out. We just sing, we sing it and we say it. And then all of a sudden, life causes us to have to go. The testing of our faith will come. And it's easy when things are going good, but it's awful. The whole, whole different story when things are going bad. Lord, I pray that you give me patience. You, okay. You want patience? God says, ha! You know what, patience? I'm going to give you patience. You know, put, put stuff in your life, and you feel like pulling your hair out. Wait a minute. You asked for patience. Some parents, some of us who, have, who are or have been parents, patience. Oh, I just can't wait. I just can't wait for the quietness and, and when they're all gone. And what happens? Just the opposite. All H-E-L-L breaks loose. But you want patience? God says, okay. You're going to have to work for that. Because through the process, now you learn what patience is. And guess what? When you and I do find what patience really is, then we understand who God is. Because God and his patience that he's trying to teach us is the same God that has patience with us. So when you and I lose patience with people in our life or our husbands or our wives or our friends or our kids or whoever, guess what? The same way you and I become impatient and whatever, 
of forgiving, all those stuff, all the stuff that wraps up into who we are, when we do that to others, guess what? That's what God has done for you. He's been patient with you and I. He's been forgiving of you and I. He's been long-suffering with our mess. All that that we want to throw away and pitch out and kick some, hey, guess what? That's what God has done to us and for us. That's why he says, guess what? You know what? You can talk about L-O-V-E, but let me tell you, unless you have the spirit of God in you, it's a hard thing to love people. We're messed up. We are. And for you to love me and for me to love you takes the spirit of God. Oh, yeah. Especially when we kick in all cylinders. But, you know, whatever. And God says, is that, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that loving? Well, at the moment, no, God. It's not. That's what I feel like. I feel like kicking them in the hind parts. Amen? Now, I know somebody's going to say, that's just so terrible. How can you be a pastor and you feel like that? Well, because I know sometimes you feel like that. You know, because in fact, I don't mean I, that I don't get upset. Jesus, with his righteousness in the nation, got upset with what was going on in the temple. Sometimes you need to get mad about some things. On the right side. Sometimes you need to be reminded from the word of God that, wait a minute, God is so loving and so good. Yes, he is. But God is also, we're going to learn in the next few moments, he's the same God that's going to say, you know what? I know why you're hanging around me. Look what he says here. He says, down here, verse, uh, come on down here, verse 22. He says, now when he was in Jerusalem, the Passover feast, many believed. Well, why did they believe? You see miracles here. Hey, guess what? He's doing miracles down there. Oh, we know this is the Messiah because of the signs that he does. Really? You know, you could say that, but that don't mean nothing. The devils believe, demons believe, so our belief in what Jesus does doesn't mean a whole lot. Demons believe that much. What means it matters when it gets to the heart of who we are. It's one thing to say, he's God because I see the great things he does. That's like somebody coming to a church, a guy says he's a healer, people with canes and, and, and all kind of stuff start walking, they throwing their canes away and they... You know, I'll never forget the guy came down the aisle, said he couldn't hear. He said, can you hear me? And the guy went, no. I'm like, well, if he can't hear you, why is he shaking his head? <laughs> can you hear what I'm saying? Dude. <laughs> Miracles. Miracle. He's, he's hearing. Throwing their canes and their walkers away and doing all that. Great. People by the... If we want to pack a church out, we can start doing some of that stuff. We have the holy water. <laughs> Come down the altar and I'll throw this water on you and your problems and your finances and all that will be taken care of. And you'll come back the next week. Pastor, guess what? I went to my mailbox, and there was a check in the, in the mail for $250,000. Can it happen? Maybe. Will it happen? Probably not. But people will come and build it because they saw Jesus doing all these signs. But guess, look what Jesus says. He says he was at the Passover. Many, not some, many believed in his name when they saw, when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now, here it is. But Jesus, on his part, 
He didn't trust what was going on. He did not entrust himself to. He wasn't going to get a, you know, it'd be like me, church start. All of a sudden, I come in a couple Sundays from now, and the church, well, like, the, the, like when Tim comes in, the church is packed. Folks, is, I mean, this is what we, this is what I do. I, I long for the day when I can look out and there's not an empty space in, anywhere. Right on. I would not trust in that. Like Jesus did not trust. They only believed because of the signs that he was doing. He said, nah, I'm not going to trust myself to them. Can't. Because like the, the same thing when he talks about when the, on some, of the ground, some of the seed fell on stony ground. People that believe for a short time. But the, the seed took root on stony ground. It, it took root for a temporary time. And then when the sun came out, it burned away and they were lost. Read the whole parable of that. There's, 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 if it falls on good soil, great. But he gives you an analogy of three other types of soil where they caught it, they got it, and then because of circumstances, the, soil, the seed was taken away. They were lost. Jesus said, ah, but he did not entrust himself. To them, because he knew all people. Only he knows. He needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. You know, I tell him how messed up man is. He knew it for himself. That's why he came from heaven to earth to redeem man. Amen. I mean, that's a great. The, the message of the gospel ought to excite us for no other reason that we were the ones that Christ came down to save. I mean, you know how messed up you are. Nobody needs to tell you. I mean, I, I don't know the specifics, but I know we're all messed up. One minute we're hot, next minute we're cold. One minute we love, next minute we don't love. One minute we want to come, the next minute we don't want to come. I mean, we just, like a yo-yo, we're all over the place. And in spite of all that, God sent his son to die for a sinner, for a sinner like me. I ought to be more excited about the things the Lord has done for no other reason than when I look at myself. I can't worry about you. I got to worry about me. Amen. What the old timer said, it's not my mother, not my father, but it's what? Me, oh Lord. I, hey, I will pray for you and I can pray for you, but I really need to, it's me, it's me, it's about me, oh Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. Amen. Jesus single, talk about his deity, Jesus single-handedly cleansed the temple. He did it by himself. With a crowd of people that probably outnumbered him that could have just snatched him up and did him some harm. He predicted his own resurrection. Destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And as God, he truly knew the contents of men's heart. Amen. God's a great, Jesus is a great God. And that 23 through 25 starts an introduction, if you want to say, into what we're going to get into next week. Now, I'm not probably won't spend a whole lot of time because I just preached on this not too long ago. But guess who comes knocking? Wedding. Jesus drives out of the temple. And because of what he just said here, he's now at Jerusalem at the Passover feast. He's down there. He knew what the heart of man. And guess who? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now Jesus has to deal. He was invited to the wedding. Now he has to initiate. In, in 1 through 11, he was invited. Now he has to initiate in 12 through 25, the cleansing and the revitalization of the temple. That's what God wants to do. And guess what? I close on this point. No longer is it about a physical building. 
the temple. Guess what? You and I are now the temple of God. And if you're saved today and you know Jesus, guess who resides in you? God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. He lives and resides in each one of us who have said yes to him. Jesus just personifies it. We get so attached to the building and coming to the place that we forget about he's already in us. And you've heard me say this many times. Why you wouldn't do some things in here because you say, oh, my God, this is the church. We can't do that at the church. But you would do it to yourself. And you are now the temple of God. Amen? So whenever you get ready to do something or I get ready to do something, we need to say to ourselves, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I am now that temple. If I wouldn't go to 225 Randolph and do that, how am I going to do this to my own self and I'm the temple of God? That might change some of the things that we do if we would think about we're now the temple of God. Be ye holy as I am holy. Amen? When we come, we ought to be able to come to serve, to, to glorify God, to worship God, and to serve him and to serve one another. The best place is to be right with Christ, right with him, and also being together as a body to get encouragement. Say, come on now, you're going to make it. You know why they have cheerleaders at basketball games and stuff? To keep in the minds of the players that they, even if they're losing 68 to nothing, they're still cheering. You can do it. You can do it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And then everybody on the team is going, well, they be quiet. <laughs> Would you just shut up over there? We're losing 68 to nothing. It's the fourth quarter. There's two minutes. We lost. But they keep on cheering. Guess what? We're going to be the cheerleaders for one another. I'll share this with Brother Dixon the other day, on the Monday, last Monday. I said, Brother Dixon, I'm praying for you and your wife. You know why? You got to do some stuff. And I go back to the story. I told, him, I told him this. He can tell you. I said, Aaron and Ur. Moses, the nation of Israel, fighting a battle. As long as Moses' hands were up, they had victory. Now, you just go home today and keep your hands up and see how long you can keep them up by yourself. And whenever Moses' hands, because of tiredness and whatever else, you know, his hands started droop, they, they, they were losing the battle. Alongside comes Aaron and Ur. Propped him up. Raised his arms. One on one side, one on the other. And there's Moses. And as long as his hand, they had victory. Guess what? Not just with them, but any of us. We're to be the Aaron and Ur of one another's life so that when things get hard, when we're under the pressure, somebody needs to come alongside us and say, guess what? You're going to make it. God is good. God's going to deliver. I'm here to raise your hands up so you don't get tired of the battle. Because you will get tired, but you need somebody every now and then to come alongside you and to lift your hands up. 
There ain't a single person in here can make it by yourself. We need to get off of our indifference and lift up each other. Breathe the air and an earth. Lift up the hands of those that are weak. Because guess what? I might have, you might have to lift up my arms because I'm getting tired in the battle. But guess what? As I get the victory in one thing, I may have to come alongside you and lift up your arms and stuff because now you're getting tired. Amen? That's what it's about. And one day, I pray that we will be that type of person that when we come to the house, we're here to encourage and lift up one another. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that when Jesus walked in and saw anything and everything going on other than what should have been going on, he got upset. He cleaned and he revitalized the true meaning of coming to your house. Pray that you would clean and revitalize us as individuals. And may we come to be encouraged. May we come to be uplifted. May we come so that we can hear a word from you so that when we leave, we get something that we can fight this next battle today and tomorrow and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And no matter what comes, we get a word from you to say, hey, guess what? I'm going to make it. If I can just get back to the house of God. Just get back to hearing the word of God. Just get back to being with the saints of God because there is strength in numbers. There's strength in others coming alongside and uplifting my heavy arms and hands. I need to be propped up. Not just by Jesus only, but propped up by good brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you that when we're weak, you're our strength. And that you put into our lives people that we can trust and believe in that are going to help us along life's journey. Draw us closer to yourself. Draw us ever more to come to your house. Draw us ever closer. Deacon Millie was to give us that love that runs from heart to heart and breast to breast. First, give us that love in you that will cause us to be what you would have us to be. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.